I hear you guys are getting inundated with um, a little bit, just a little bit of precipitation. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit of flooding here. How's everything down there? At least it's, at least it's not bad as what they're having in California. Oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, there are areas around here where it's pretty bad. I've been all right here in Carbondale, but there's been some pretty bad flooding in, uh, closer to the river, really. And a few other spots in between. It's such strange weather for January. It feels like, you know, spring weather, and it's the middle of January. It's very strange. I wonder what that's yeah, all about. <laughs> I have my phone set to the weather in Carbondale, and it's constantly sending me flood warnings. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, I was talking about the where the whole town had to evacuate in California because they still have that pollution. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this is a story we've been following for quite some time uh, since it started. We... When it first started, people... I'm actually tired of talking about it. <laughs> yeah, just in the point when we're starting to get tired of talking about it, it gets worse and worse. So, California gas leak is so bad that governor declares emergency. Excuse me. California Governor Jerry Brown declared a state of emergency Wednesday in response to the methane leak that has been spewing foul-smelling and toxic gas into the Porter Ranch area of Los Angeles for months. Thousands of local. And the highlight right there is for months. Yeah, for months. Taking them months to declare a state of emergency mm-hmm. after thousands of local residents, some of whom have experienced vomiting, nosebleeds, headaches, and dizziness, of course, have already left the area. Mm-hmm. So, just like. Yeah. Yeah, it's like. Um, we need an evacuate now, but people are like, well, most everybody's evacuated because they can't handle it. Yeah, it's it's like that say, if the people lead, the leaders will follow. The, the people themselves declared in a, a state of emergency and left the area. And then eventually the governor realized, oh, where did everybody go? I guess it is a state of I mean, emergency. It's not like it's a little leak. I mean, it's been spewing 33 tons of methane per hour into the atmosphere Yeah, for months. And they're still saying that it's going to be months before it is contained. I mean, if it's ever contained, they may just give up and let it flow forever until it runs out. At this this rate, that seems to be the plan, because they're saying it's going to take months to get it under control. And, I mean, methane's a bigger issue than carbon dioxide, because it actually traps more greenhouse gases. Um, It says here 86% more, 86 times more heat over a 20-year period than carbon dioxide does. Yeah, and I'm glad people cite that number because sometimes they'll cite the um, the effect it has over a 100-year period or a 200-year, but really having 86 times the effect in a 20-year period, these are going to be a very important 20 years for global warming. So to have that much effect in that coming 20 years is a very serious issue. Well, I like that the governor actually released the plan that includes stopping the leak, which I don't understand why the governor has to come up with that plan. Hmm. The governor's office released a plan to hold Southern California gas responsible and, of course, strengthen oversight so it doesn't happen again. Yeah. 
Well, apparently it didn't occur to the utility to stop the leak, so it had to occur to the governor. <laughs> I'm sure given the PR nightmare, it has occurred to them, but it is still not happened. So this is, uh, people are saying, and rightly so, that this is the worst environmental disaster since the BP oil spill. I mean, honestly, the climate impacts are going to be arguably way more on this one. The health impacts, you know, there were a ton of health impacts in the Gulf, so it may take years to figure out which one had worse health impacts. But climate-wise, <laughs> this much methane going in for Who this long. Who wants to do that study? <laughs> like, which one was worse? Yeah. It's a cheery field of research. <laughs> Hopefully we can all just agree that they're, they're both... It's not a good idea to poison a town with methane gas, and it's not a good idea to spill oil on the coast. Those both seem like fairly reasonable statements. But, you know, to, everybody has their own opinion, I guess. So here's another story coming up, our next news story. Another reason fracking sucks. Study links fracking to even more health problems. You know the old saying, another day, another study linking to fracking to health problems? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's becoming an old saying now, nowadays. Well, there's a new study from Yale School of Public Health links the chemicals used in fracking with potential reproductive and developmental problems. Now, this isn't exactly new. We've known for some time that fracking is connected with lowered sperm counts as well as premature births and a host of other health issues. This particular study... Wait a second. You <laughs> said lower sperm counts? I yeah. think right now we've figured out a way to stop fracking. <laughs> yeah, I just... We've been focusing on the wrong health concerns, you know, telling people, you know, they may get cancers and things, but telling people their sperm count is going to go down, that'll get them to stop fracking straight out. <laughs> so this particular study raises concerns about wastewater in particular, which the researchers found is even more toxic than the chemicals used in fracking. Isn't that crazy to think How about? Possible? I mean, we're already hearing about how toxic the chemicals are that are put into the ground. But then when they come back up, they're even more toxic. Well, I guess if the chemicals blend together, it becomes a more of a toxic mess than the chemicals separately. Yeah, and they may find whatever is in the ground and bring it back up. So here's a quote from the report about it. In the fracking process, water, sand, and chemicals are pumped underground and forced the release of natural gas. But in addition to the natural gas, wastewater surfaces, which contains leftover chemicals that were pumped down the well, as well as other potentially harmful substances such as lead and arsenic. So they're not actually pump. well, hopefully, they're not actually pumping lead and arsenic into the well, but then it gets, it pulls it out of the ground as it comes back up as wastewater. So you get all of the fracking chemicals plus lead, plus arsenic, plus who knows what else. So you, you throw in a toxic stew and it gets even more toxic on the way out. So researchers <laughs> analyzed public data available on 1,021 chemicals that are used in fracking. With the main goal How many? 1,021 chemicals. <laughs> That's a lot of chemicals. I mean, I didn't even know that was, we had that many. <laughs> yeah. So they just like randomly are just like deciding we need to get rid of a bunch of junk that's sitting around? Yeah, I mean, that's since they don't always disclose why they're using the chemicals or how, it could just be <laughs> a secret way to dispose of them. And most of the toxic chemicals used have links to reproductive problems and developmental health problems. 
So this is, this is some people's vision of a clean energy future, <laughs> using all of these toxic chemicals and bringing up even more lead and arsenic from the ground through fracking. That doesn't quite sound like a clean energy future to me. And here's the impact that you had said before. Methane emits, fracking emits methane, which has 25 times the impact of carbon on climate change over a 100-year period. Yeah. Or in the previous article, it said 86 times in a, over a 20-year period. Yeah, 20-year period. Both of which, yeah. both of those intervals are important to note, but I, I really like to emphasize the 80 times one for a 20-year period, since we're still actively warming the atmosphere. What we do in the la next 20 years is going to be a big deal, and that's a lot of methane to put into the atmosphere. And, you know, there's the methane and the whole reproductive health thing, and the earthquakes, and the exploding tap water, and the cancer. You know, there's, unfortunately, the list goes on and on. Hence the old saying... That is not good. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and yet, actually, President Obama has made natural gas a central tenet of his clean power plan to lower greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. So, you know, doesn't I seem... Mean, this, this type of plan could encourage utilities to switch from coal to gas instead of coal to renewables. Yeah. And then once they've switched to gas, they'll realize, oh, now it has all of these health impacts and all of these climate impacts, and now we've got to switch again. They could cut out the middleman and instead of switching multiple times to multiple different fossil fuels, switch to clean energy. And, I mean, a big problem with a lot of these pollution is you can't see it. You know, it's not, it's not in our backyard kind of deal. Power plants, people don't want power plants in their backyard. And we haven't really been building coal power plants because those are very visual. But we have been building these fracking gas plants. Yeah. Because when you burn it, you don't see this big plume of smoke. You The pollution that comes out is deadlier, but you don't see it. It's not visual. Yeah. I actually was thinking of that when I saw the... Uh, they used a special camera to to take pictures of the methane as it's escaping. And that was when I realized, oh, this is why it's not getting more press. You, you can't see it with a normal camera. So people are thinking, oh, I can't see it. It must not be a big problem. But people who live in the area know better. They've had to evacuate. Now, but for some reason, China is leading us. China isn't approving any new coal mines for the next three years. Wow. Now, again, coal, the pollution is very visual. And China, the largest coal producer in the world, grapples right now with alarming pollution from coal plants. I mean, literally, you know, it's very visual. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of the, I've seen old photos of when the, um, early in the Industrial Revolution when Europe and America were having tons and tons of coal use, and it was really polluting the major cities. And uh, the, the photos we're seeing out of China nowadays from coal remind me of that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. They're the largest coal producer and the largest consumer in the world, and they're increasingly distancing themselves from its largest energy source because it, the pollution is so visual. Yeah. 
Yeah, so this also may be related, too, to the promises that governments are making from the Paris Climate Summit. It could also just, it's also partially related to economics in China as well. It's a combination of factors leading them to do this. It does mean that, you know, in theory, if they stick to burning less coal and they don't replace it with other fossil fuels like natural gas, it may reduce their overall uh, carbon footprint. And I also like to, whenever China's coal use comes up, I often think about how much the United States purchases from China, that people tend to blame China for, oh, look at all this, this coal they're burning. They're such just environmentally disastrous people. But they spend a lot of energy creating products for us in the U.S. to buy. So we share at least some responsibility in some of the coal burning that they're doing. And apparently, if we want to share the responsibility, a study published last year found that 1.6 million Chinese die yearly because of air pollution. I mean, that's 17% of the deaths in China are directly linked to air pollution. Yeah. I mean, just imagine, I mean, that's probably why they're starting to work on the issue, but just imagine if any other cause was causing 17% of the deaths in a country. You know, if there was some militant group or, you know, some particular piece of technology other than fossil fuels, they would act on that a lot more quickly. But now they're gradually starting to take action on that. It's also an important thing to keep in mind, too, as there are there are still people in the U.S. and other places who are advocating for reviving coal use or going back to more coal use. And it's important to remember. I think they are. They're just talking about that clean coal. That's a new type of coal, right? (laughs) Yeah, they say it's a new type of coal. I mean, it's the same coal. (laughs) They're trying to do things (laughs) a little differently with it. Spending a lot of money researching how to... uh, I'm trying to think of a good analogy, like how to burn coal without coal being dirty, when coal is an inherently dirty fuel. All right, so... Let's get on to a little bit of the other news we have here today. This is a story that's been especially on my mind lately. Uh, we, we occasionally talk about climate-related fiction. We spend a lot of time here talking about climate science and climate realities, but climate fiction helps us imagine how to respond to climate change. So I was really excited when I saw this contest for several reasons. This is the 2016 Climate Fiction Short Story Contest. Why, why are you talking about it? Don't you want to enter and win? And if we talk about it, there'll be less people entering. Yeah, that's, that's what my wife Grace said, actually. And I, I had a similar thought at first. Oh, I will tell the story after the deadline passes and <laughs> tell people about this climate contest. But, you know, I, I, do, I do appreciate my fellow writers here in southern Illinois and anyone who's listening online. So I want to give them the opportunity to hear about this contest, too. So this contest, here's a little description of it. Speculative fiction stories have the power to take abstract policy debates and obscure jargon and turn them into gripping, visceral tales. The emerging subgenre of climate fiction, epitomized by novels like Margaret Atwood's Mad Adam trilogy, helps us to imagine possible futures shaped by climate change. Imagine- what about pointing people to your blog where you wrote a whole story? <laughs> what was it? Yeah, it was the, Goodbye Miami. I've got the... Goodbye um, Miami. Yeah, Goodbye Miami is my climate fiction blog. 
Uh, also, if you go to treesong.org, it's got connections to my other climate fiction. I've been doing a lot of emphasis on climate that. fiction. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you could add yourself, help us imagine possible futures shaped by climate change. You wrote a whole, like, got a whole website and basically, you know, a book in online form. Yeah. Yeah, and that was actually part of my goal in writing that, you know, I... Even if there wasn't the issue of climate change, I would write anyway because I'm an author. But, you know, since it's such a big issue in the world today, a lot of my fiction has dealt with trying to help us imagine what the world will be like under climate change. And I really like this this institute that's putting it on, too. It's, well, it's an initiative, the Imagination and Climate Futures Initiative. It's at the Arizona State University. So they're putting this on along with the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences over at ASU. It's the 2016 Climate Fiction Short Story Contest. Now, I wonder if SIU will ever have a climate fiction short story contest (laughs) or anything else related to climate fiction. But anyway, Arizona State University is putting this one on. The contest will be judged by science fiction legend Kim Stanley Robinson, award-winning author of many foundational works in climate fiction. And there will be a grand prize winner who will be awarded $1,000. So whichever story they decide is best, the winner gets $1,000. There are also three additional finalists receiving book bundles. And uh, I'm familiar with this author, Paolo Bassigalupi. I think we've talked about him on the show before. He's another famous climate fiction author. So even if you don't win the grand prize, there's a chance to be in an anthology and a chance to participate in helping the world imagine a world after climate change. So the deadline is January 15th, so it's just coming up next week. You can find it by visiting climateimagination.asu.edu slash contest. Or, you know, you could relax, take the week off, and let me submit my entries and let me win the contest. But that's up to you. So have you already picked out an entry? Yeah, I've actually... Are you write special? Yeah, I've written special fiction for this contest. There are actually three submissions allowed per author. So I've finished two stories. The third one's in progress. Um, and the first two still need a little bit of editing to meet the length requirements. But uh, I'm, I've got a busy week ahead of me to be sure that all three of those are ready for submission. But I've got three stories in the works that... Uh, Two of which are pretty much ready, and the third one should be ready by the 15th. Well, today's holiday is bubble bath day, so you might do that, and that'll ease you into Saturday, which is play God day. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's that's one of the roles of an author. In their fictional world, they get to play God, and they kill off characters, bring other characters to life, you know. That's about as far as I want to go with playing God. Some people take that a little too far. Also coming up, this is a fun one, Houseplant Appreciation Day on Sunday and also Peculiar People Day. Well, I celebrate that one every day. Well, how about the peculiar people who think they're a houseplant? (laughs) That's an even better one. That's a good way to celebrate the holiday. So step in a puddle and splash your friend's day on Monday. It is going to rain over the weekend a bit, so maybe that'll happen. Tuesday is my day, Feast of the Fabulous Wild Men Day. <laughs> <laughs> there, there we go. That sounds like a wonderful day. 
at least the feast part. Yeah. And Wednesday is International Skeptics Day. It's also, ironically, Make Your Dream Come True Day. <laughs> so be skeptical, but still pursue your dreams. <laughs> and Thursday is Dress Up Your Pet Day. You know, I've always wanted to have a pet and dress it up like a human and try to convince people that it actually is a human. You know, say, they would say, oh, that's just a dog. And I'd say, oh, how can you make fun of my friend's condition? <laughs> people have been teasing about that all his life. Have you made got a chance to go out to the ice skating ring in front of uh, Long Branch and Trace Ombres? I haven't yet. I've seen it. It looks really fun. I'm not really much of a skater, but I see it out there, and it does awaken the imagination. What would it be like to be ice skating in downtown Carbondale? And I don't know. I mean, they're calling it ice skating. There's, it's not actually ice. It's just like, you know, a plastic, really slick-coated surface. Um. But I guess, you know, it's simulated ice, right? Yeah. Um, But this is this is run by uh, the the park district and they're using the money to um, build the Carbondale Splash Park. So. Yeah, so it's a fun time and it's also for a good cause, too. Well, a fun cause building the Splash Park. Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays from noon until 6 p.m. Hmm. All right, so yeah, check that out while you get a chance. It's a good time out there on the the ice skating rink, the synthetic ice skating rink. <laughs> so also coming up, we've got the Carbondale Community Farmer's Market. Now, as you may know, if you tune in last week, we did take a break for a week or two due to the holidays, but now they are back in swing this Saturday. It's coming up on Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon at the Carbondale Community High School. It's a great, Inside. Yeah, it's inside the high school. I mean, it's so nice outside, so warm, that you might think, oh, they're going to be outside, but for consistency's sake, they're keeping it inside over the winter because you never know when it might it actually feel winter like winter. Market. Yeah, it's a winter's farmer's market. They want to at least pretend that it's winter, so... <laughs> Winter's Farmer's Market is indoors, and you get to meet the faces of agriculture and get the tastes of all Southern Illinois has to offer. The monthly Peace and Justice Vigil is Saturday, January 9th, at noon until 1 at the Carbondale Town Square, on the corner of Illinois and Maine. This vigil will focus on the peace and justice themes that the Peace Coalition always supports. Since we are nearing the Remembrance Day for Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., any signs related to his legacy and present-day campaigns for peace and justice would be especially appropriate. Yes, and they usually have that on the first Saturday, but they're having it this Saturday because they didn't want to have people come out on New Year's Day when they might still be sleeping in. So, yeah, that is this Saturday at noon at the Carbondale Town Square. Also going on is the Labyrinth Peace Park Restoration Group. That's a group of people working on the Labyrinth Peace Park. It's coming up on Saturday, January 9th at 1.30 p.m. at Guy House Interfaith Center. Also at the Guy House Interfaith Center, next Friday, the Pizza and Movie Party 
movies, pizza, popcorn, and more. And the reason why we're announcing it, you know, a little early is so you can go to their Facebook and vote on the movie. Yeah, that's half the fun for me is getting people together and they make their movie suggestions and you pick which everyone gets the most vote. It's a collaborative movie watching process. <laughs> so that's coming up not this Friday, but next Friday and the voting will end on Monday for that. So also coming up, we mentioned Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, holiday is coming up. In honor of that, there's a community celebration. It's happening on Sunday, January 17th at 4 p.m. at the Carbondale Civic Center. This is the 17th annual Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. community celebration. It's going to be at 4 p.m. on the 17th. The theme for this year's celebration is We Who Believe in Freedom Shall Not Rest Until It Comes. The celebration will include music, interpretive dance, readings, and a special performance by Jeff McGoy. Community choir will perform under the direction of Pat York, accompanied by the Southern Illinois West African Drum Ensemble. Now, I went to the first rehearsal for that. I'm going to be in the community choir again this year. And they are looking for more people for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a fun group. People, even if you haven't sung in a community choir before, you're more than welcome. Uh, the rehearsals will help you get the song down. So the next one is coming up on Monday from 7.30 p.m. to 8.15 p.m. at Guy House Interfaith Center. Then there's another one coming up at Rock Hill Missionary Baptist Church on the corner of Marion and Monroe Streets in Carbondale. That one's coming up on Saturday, January 16th from 10 a.m. to 10.45 a.m. And then the final rehearsal will be, as they usually do, right before the events at 3.45 p.m. on the 17th. Uh, the public is encouraged to bring a canned or boxed food donation for food pantries so that can be shared with the people in need. Yes, and that's, that's a good way both to honor the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. because he did also discuss issues of poverty as well, and it's also very much needed at this time in southern Illinois. So we also have coming up... Uh, the yoga over at Guy House Interfaith Center is taking a break currently, but on the 20th, it's coming back with a laughter yoga session. So I've heard about laughter yoga. This is the first time I've heard about it happening locally. That's over at Guy House Interfaith Center. Uh, that's open to Guy House members and guests at uh, 5 p.m. on the 20th. And we've got time for one more happening here. It's Chris Mahana Kwanzaadaan. You may have heard of that before. It's quite a mouthful to pronounce, but it's the annual interfaith celebration of all winter holidays. It's coming up on Saturday, January 23rd at 6 p.m. at Guy House Interfaith Center. There's going to be music, refreshments, arts and crafts, and more. So for more info on that, you can check out the Facebook event or you can email director at rguyhouse.org. Now, there are so many fun winter holidays that it's fun to have an event that celebrates them all together. And the name is fun to say, too, Chris Mahana Kwanzaadaan. Wonderful. I think I made it to the end. It's still connected, but <laughs> i got to run now. So Yeah. Have well, a good one. You, too. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us. And thank you, listener, too, for joining us. I hope it's been as exciting and informative for you as it has been for me. 
It's some um, pretty decent weather out there, a little cloudy, but remarkably warm for this time of year. So we hope you have a good weekend, and we will see you here next week on the radio.